0: My name is Anine Tressler hauschultz and this is Our Mind's Eye, a podcast brought to you by the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute. The mission of the Institute is to advance psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic thought through training, treatment, education, and research to benefit the mental health of our diverse community. Joining me today is Dr. Stuart Ozark. A psychiatrist in private practice in the St. Louis area. Dr. Ozar also serves as the medical director for the Institute's Sheely Clinic. The clinic is a sliding scale fee clinic based in St. Louis. Also joining us today is Lynn Wolf, a provisionally licensed counselor who is completing her practicum program in June of this year. Thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Ozar, would you please talk to me a little bit about your background as a physician and a psychiatrist?
1: Gladly. Yeah, I came to uh, the psychiatric residency at St. Louis University back in the uh, early 80s to train there primarily because uh, of the institutions here in the city, St. Louis University what's very psychodynamically focused. Almost all of our teachers were psychoanalysts from the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute. Uh, They were great teachers and inspiring, and uh, that was the direction that I knew I had wanted to uh, go into in terms of the way I wanted to be a psychiatrist. Back then, it was the beginning of of the movement where psychiatrists did less and less talking to patients, and more and more just prescribing medication, and that was never something that I felt I could be capable of doing. I have to sit and get to know somebody.
0: How did you become associated with the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute?
1: While I was doing my residency training in psychiatry, I was uh, given the opportunity to start psychoanalytic training, so that was in the late 80s. I began my training, took classes, uh, and eventually joined the faculty to teach and to become more involved in the organization. And then about 10 years ago, to become involved in the Sheely Clinic as its medical director.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about the Sheely Clinic? What is it and, and what does it do?
1: Glad to. I always like to talk about the Sheely Clinic because I'm very proud of what we do. Um, First, let me say that psychoanalytic institutes over the last century have had a history of having low-fee clinics. And for a long time here in St. Louis, the clinic was staffed by part-time social workers. Some of the purpose was also to identify people who would be suitable for psychoanalysis, for training, for the uh, psychoanalytic candidates. Probably 15 or 20 years ago, One of the analysts, Nate Simon, who deserves a lot of recognition for this, had always been interested in clinics and felt not only could we provide service, but the clinic could provide a training opportunity that would give real-world experience for those who were taking part in our didactic courses that had been instituted to train psychotherapists. Right now, we have a clinic that provides service, but its main ideal and goal is to be a place where uh, beginning therapists can get a good foundation and a lot of supervision and guidance into how to become a successful and helpful professional.
0: And that brings me to you, Lynn Wolf. Um, I know that you have gone through the program and are about to graduate in June. I'd like to talk about what was it that attracted you to the program?
2: I had just a wonderful experience there. And I think what attracted me to the program was my own personal therapy. I had a therapist who practiced psychodynamically and I saw her for years and it was truly a life-changing experience. So I knew that if and when I went back to grad school, that would be the direction that I would take if it was available to me.
0: I'd like to talk about the patient perspective. If I'm sure. a patient and I'm, I'm seeking therapy, I would think that the idea of a, a sliding fee scale would be very important because um, isn't therapy pretty expensive?
1: Therapy is uh, very expensive. And back in the day, many insurance companies provided very generous benefits. Over the last number of decades, that's decreased. And there are more and more people that really do not have good coverage. And even if they do, they can't afford the copays. So we're very concerned that's a, a kind of treatment that we think is so helpful to so many people, just unavailable. Uh, and we'd like to do whatever we can uh, to allow people to have access to the kinds of a personal therapeutic relationship that can really help them manage some of the difficulties in their life.
0: I understand that in addition to the sliding fee scale, there is uh, typically a $50 intake fee that patients are um, required to pay. Why Mm -hmm. is that important in the patient therapeutic situation?
1: Well, several considerations. To begin, a psychotherapeutic relationship is a, a really significant commitment on the part of both the therapist and the patient and to be able to pay something or to be able to be someone who contributes or takes has some sort of skin in the game so to speak does it's an indication initially of some seriousness that someone isn't just sort of toying with the idea but in not a a very serious way or that they're hoping maybe a magical wish that they can go in and somebody can just fix them as opposed to a relationship that is going to involve work from both parties and some collaboration. The fact is that there are some people for whom that $50 is a burden. We rarely waive it, but we're very flexible in terms of how we allow someone to pay that off. If that indeed becomes a barrier to their being able to have access to quality treatment, and they're really serious about wanting to follow up.
0: When you talk about the patients who come to the clinic, what, is there a, a, I don't know, a typical set of problems that you might encounter or is there a a general presentation that patients come with or is it a crisis situation?
1: Presentations vary. As a clinic, we're honestly not set up to have the manpower to handle people in crisis who often need short-term interventions and someone who, who's very available. So those people, we do our best to help them identify the kinds of resources in the community. Sometimes it's an emergency room. Sometimes it's other kinds of providers. that can help them out in, in multiple ways, but we are not able to provide that ourselves. Uh, there are those people, though, who... And it's the kind of person who often has been uh, struggling themselves with a range of problems, anxieties, behaviors that don't make sense to them, patterns that lead to difficulties in life or jobs or difficulties succeeding at school, often with a lot of pain uh, and distress. We tried to help themselves, but uh, have, have the courage, because it does take a lot of courage, actually, to say, I need help from another human being. Uh, So at that point, usually people screw up their courage and say, okay, I'm going to make a call. That's difficult to do, but that's the segment of the population that really feels like, okay, maybe another person is out there and I can have some hope that somebody can listen to me and have something to say about my life that I just can't figure out myself.
0: Which brings me to the question of of terminology. We have... So many terms that float around, psychiatry, psychoanalysis, psychodynamic therapy. Mm -hmm. I know these are all very complex approaches, but can you please give for the audience a thumbnail of of what each of those terms means?
1: Okay. So people who are suffering, there are a variety of professions who have their own set of courses and training uh, to provide help psychiatrists are physicians so they're trained mostly to understand the mind and the brain and the body to provide medications at least this these days most of the training is focused on medications and often for some people who are very seriously ill and for whom actual psychotherapy in terms of a talk therapy of understanding themselves may or may not be so helpful. They may need support, someone who understands human beings, uh, but they need a, a broader range of services. There are a number of psychiatrists who do additional training, like myself, who want to specialize in doing talking therapies, either psychotherapy or psychoanalysis. There are other professions, social work, there are master's programs for professional counselors, as well as PhD or PsyD, advanced doctoral degrees to provide a lot of other kinds of background and skills, some of which includes clinical work, how to actually work with patients as opposed to just working with societal issues or agencies or working with diagnostic things. So there's a variety of backgrounds. And then there's a variety of different approaches, there are hundreds of different things that we talk about as talking therapies where two people meet, but they vary in terms of the level of training and their focus on symptoms, for example, and wanting to provide techniques or guidance and advice versus what we talk about in, quote, psychodynamic or psychoanalytic therapies uh, that are built on uh, a long tradition often identified with Sigmund Freud, of course, the sort of the father of our field, with recognizing that our minds are complex. There's a lot that's out of our awareness and unconscious, that symptoms have meaning, that people are struggling to be able to put into words what their difficulties are and need help to do that uh, whatever level of intensity is is appropriate.
0: As a patient, if I'm coming to the Sheely clinic i'm guessing i would probably feel some anxiety about uh, how long is this going to go on and what are we going to have to disclose or discover what am i what am i going to have to talk about can you speak a little bit about about that
1: yeah absolutely so actually i think we can even think about many the difficulties that most human beings have in life are because they've lost the trust or ne- never developed the idea that what's going on in their mind, the things they wish for or long for, or the things that are hurting them can be put into words and shared with another person. It's something we long for. We long for connection. We wish we could get it from parents that so they'd always read our minds and know what's going on, which never really happens, but that we end up with a lot in ourselves that if we're fortunate, we find partners or friends that we could share many things, but there's always some boundary, some privacy that we don't share with others. And we've come to learn that there's also a lot we don't share with ourselves. So almost everyone, I would say, comes to the clinic with a lot of anxiety about revealing themselves and showing some Uh, which really is a a kind of intimacy and conversation that is so very difficult uh, for most people. So that's really what a lot of the work of therapy is, is to reassure someone or help them understand what their reluctance is uh, to be able to let someone else know what they're thinking and feeling to know them and recognize that in fact, there are people who can get to know them and won't use that information to hurt them or exploit them or to act as if they have all the answers, but in fact will want to listen and provide at least another point of view or perspective on what things might mean.
0: It sounds as though what you're talking about is someone who has very specific education and insight serving as your advocate. When you come in and have, as you said, something is going on in my life. Maybe I'm in pain, maybe I'm sad. And, and I need someone to listen, but not just listen as a friend would, but someone who yeah. is trained very specifically to, to know what I'm, to, to see beyond it.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's at least in the beginning phases of a relationship and what in, in fact is, is quite healing for most people is just to know there is someone actually who's willing to sit and listen and sort of be with me. And it's one of the things that um, I emphasize to therapists in training who are really can be quite worried if they haven't had a lot of academic work or if they don't know all the lingo or special techniques, all of which ultimately become important to be able to know best how to listen and understand what's going on. But so much of what's healing is... Being someone who can be genuine and really have the, another person, the patient's interest in mind uh, and helps someone calm someone's fears. And often for the people who come in to us, we're the first people who've ever really want want to listen and pay attention and not get angry or upset or defensive or judgmental. And that's a huge relief to most human beings.
0: Dr. Ozar, I know that in the Sheely Clinic, the early career therapists are providing the services in the clinic. And can you talk a little bit about what that supervision process is? I I would think as a patient, I would want to know that someone isn't quote unquote learning while they're helping me or Mm -hmm. learning on me. Can you speak to what that supervision is?
1: Absolutely. So for someone who has experiences listening to someone come in and try to talk about their experiences uh, and their feelings and their pain, for someone new, uh, there's a lot to hear. Maybe in the same way that when you first hear a symphony, you may say, "Oh, that's nice," and you enjoy it and it's pleasurable, but you don't know all the details. You don't you can't really talk about why it's structured so way, why this instrument plays that beat and how it fits in with other instruments so it's very helpful to have someone who's very experienced who can listen to reports of actual interactions and help someone learn to sort of tune in their ear really to know how to listen and also and this is really important part of the kind of work we do we bring our own personalities to this work uh, so we have to know ourselves as much as that's possible, and that's really a never-ending process. And we have to be able to know about our own blind spots or the things that make us uncomfortable. And supervisors can often point out areas that we, we seem to be blind to or uncomfortable with, uh, not necessarily to fix them. That's the work that all good therapists have to do in their own therapies and their own introspection and so on, but they provide that. I think one of the benefits of our particular clinic is our collection of really well-trained and experienced supervisors who are really eager to teach and and support. I'm going to add one more thing, because that individual relationship is really important, but I think there's other kinds of supervisions. We meet weekly as a group uh, to talk about cases. We really work hard to Foster in that group uh, adequate safety so people can feel like they could allow their own thoughts to emerge, whatever they may be, which is really how our minds work, how we learn about ourselves, to be able to talk about their responses to clinical material they hear, share with each other. So the, it's not just the individual supervision. I'm wanting to suggest that the group becomes a Sort of collaborative team that support one another there's a lot of peer support that also allows people to gain some confidence that actually they can use their own tools and thoughts and find out they actually know a lot more than they may think they know <laughs> when they can trust their own own experiences and emotional responses
2: yeah that's a really wonderful experience each week and it also teaches you that you may not have the same thoughts as other, pe- other people in the group, but it's not necessarily wrong, you know, that there are multiple ways of viewing a situation. So I mean, it's it's truly collaborative and competence building. I'm still provisionally licensed for another year and a half, working for my, towards my licensure hours. But yes, private practice has always been my ultimate goal. And I feel like I am, have been more than adequately prepared from my time at the clinic. For example, um, working the intake line taught me how to ask the right screening questions when patients call, setting fees, and doing the billing. You know, money is a very difficult topic to talk about, especially for new therapists. But over the past two years, you know, we I've learned specifically how to how not only to talk about it, but how to bring it into the session. If there's, if the patient's having a difficulty, having problems paying or or whatever, you know, we make that part of our session together. So, and to be clear, we're interns, so we don't collect on our own personally, but we do the billing for the clinic. It's just those types of things that I don't think. I would learn any place else, but now, now I'm confident enough that I can go out and do these types of things that any private practitioner would most definitely have to do. So, um, I I just feel like it's really been a wonderful way to prepare for going out in the, in the, in the world on my own.
0: And in terms of the length of the relationship, you complete your training in June and, and then does training continue? What, what is the process there, Lynn?
2: Right. So I'm planning to go out and practice a little more independently. W- what that means is that I'm still provisionally licensed. So I will be working under my current supervisor's license number. And that is for a period of total two years. I have a year and a half left or and 3,000 hours. In a way, it's independent, but I still have the the support of my supervisor for the for my cases.
0: And the Institute also, through the Sheely Clinic and through other programs in the Institute, provides ongoing education for professionals, correct?
2: Correct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been wonderful, too, because it it just helps you, helps the new clinician kind of do a deep dive into the, into the theory, which has been great. And that's available ongoing, which I find particularly comforting to know that I can go back and get more training as I have. Time and as I, you know, as the need arises, I feel like in some ways I'll be connected to the Institute from here on out because of that reason.
1: We look for people who are coming to us because they want to fill, fulfill their practicum requirements at their training programs. But people also come to us who are looking for licensure hours and again are in the early uh, stages of their career building and want the kind of support and supervision that we provide, that it's hard to get other places. And I think over the years, there also have been others who've come to us who have been out in the field and recognize that they could broaden their skills uh, if they had some of the uh, knowledge and training and access to the literature that's uh, part of the psychoanalytic tradition.
0: As you speak about the background of people who come to the program, what kind of prior education or life experience does the quote-unquote typical candidate come yeah.
1: with? Yeah, that's a interesting question. That I think about a lot as, as we evaluate those people that do apply to our clinic and think about whether This will really be the best experience for them moving on. Certainly it's essential that they have the the academic background that will allow them to get credentialed in their field as a social worker, as a licensed professional counselor, a PhD, or, or an MD, but that's hardly sufficient. We look for qualities of capacity for their own introspection, some awareness that Even that they, to be able to do the kind of work they do, that they recognize some of the motivations and their own personal experience. There actually aren't too many people who end up being good therapists who haven't recognized something that they needed to sort out. There were introspective sorts of people to begin with. Many of the people that do best and are really ready to do this kind of work are people who have gone into this field is a second career later in life or had some life maturing kinds of uh, experiences, Uh, which isn't to say that those who are younger in their 20s and so on, some of them are are really remarkably uh, tuned into others and just have a natural ability to relate and a deep concern from other people and have been already been able to sort of make sense of their experience. But if, uh, we do end up with quite a few people who are finding this field later later in life.
0: Lynn, would you mind sharing what your own background is and what really drove you to, to seek this additional training?
2: Sure. Um, for me, doing this was a lifelong calling. It's a dream of mine that I've had since undergrad, but life kind of got in the way. I didn't have the resources to really get a master's out of um, undergrad. And I just pursued a number of different avenues. I started in pharmaceutical sales right out of college. I did that for a while. Then family life became a priority, raised my kids, stayed home. Then I went back into the market and worked for hospice for a while. And that was rewarding. But then I kind of went back into retirement and didn't feel satisfied. I felt too young. My kids were out of the house. And then I just got the courage to go back at 58 years old. And um, I pursued a master's and I got that from Webster University. And during that, working towards my internship hours through the university is when I started at the clinic. And I've been there, been here for two years now.
0: Do we, do you see something different in the years between, say, a Gen Z, a Gen X, a baby boomer coming into this training, are they looking for the same thing? Are they looking for something different?
1: Yeah, I, I don't um, have a clear sense of that in terms of applications to the clinic. I, I do know that in my many decades in the field, there ha- clearly have been switches. So the institutes for a long time were mostly MDs, but we've broadened out variety of reasons to where analysts uh, more are, are, are less often MDs and more often come from other fields, and that has changed the perspective. So uh, many of the folks that are coming in to train either psychotherapists or psychoanalysts have backgrounds that have often led them to be much more interested in other community issues, larger social issues, broader perspectives, Beginning to see more diversity, I think there. We have a ways to go to, to convince the public that we're we're a, a way of working and a way of relating that really is welcoming to everyone. I think uh, we haven't always done ourselves a good service or in that, but I, I think that's where our heart is, uh, and we're so we're finding students who are very comfortable with the idea that we do want to be able to serve. The broadest population and they're not just there because we can learn from them but actually we recognize they have a need so we have programs for example interest people who are interested in working with an immigrant population speaking spanish uh through casa de salu that's definitely a population that has very unique needs often because of lots of trauma uh, just in terms of immigration, cultural changes, being undocumented. we would like to be able to work more in North St. Louis, other populations. So those are our ambitions and trying to identify th- those kinds of students that are have that broad vision and concern for the community.
0: Is there, Dr. Ozar, an ideal candidate for the program at the Institute?
1: I think the qualities are most important are a capacity for introspection, some humility, some recognition that t- in order to be able to help someone else, they have to know themselves. So some, someone who's comfortable being in a an exploratory therapy themselves, every good therapist or analyst I think has to themselves have been in or continue to be in a therapy or analysis. And they have to have, Some experience with the difficulties in life and some of the extremes of what many people come to us have had some real trauma and you have to be able to live with that and not shy away from it or not avoid it. You have to feel like you've had enough experience knowing that difficult emotional experiences can be lived through if you have some help to put them in words and you're not alone with them. So there are certain qualities of the person, as well as just their ethic and commitment to think about others other than just themselves. Intelligence, capacity with language, all those things are certainly important because we're talking about ability to express inner feelings and to know how to help people put that into words.
0: Therapy, psychotherapy is not just for the... The privileged among us. Yeah. It it is for everyone who might be experiencing yeah. pain.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and want answers.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's one of the big changes, the big shifts, that there's a more sort of a social consciousness and an ethic that's among the students that are that we're seeing.
0: What led you, Dr. Ozar, to, to want to pursue psychiatry and psychodynamic theory?
1: If I had many hours, I would reveal all sorts of dynamics from my unconscious, which I'm not going to do. But like Lynn, I uh, had my own issues in sorting out my identity and going through life in the 60s and Vietnam and all kinds of conflicts and drama and finding myself. And uh, psychotherapy was very helpful. I knew before college that I wanted to end up doing some sort of therapy.
0: And Lynn? What was it specifically about this this approach that attracted you the most?
2: I think just how it helped me. You know, it helped me understand myself better. And I wanted to provide that experience for others. You know, it just made me aware of what my struggles were or why my struggles were occurring and, you know, patterns that I would repeat and what, you know, what the reasons were. And it just provided me an opportunity to hear my thoughts through another person. And, you know, that, that's really wonderful. So I knew that I wanted to give back in that way.
0: You know, we hear commercials now about uh, apps where you can connect with a therapist. I know that certainly during COVID there was the emergence and popularity of telemedicine are these are these modalities offered by the shaley clinic and if i want to seek therapy do i have to go in at a certain time or can i do it on the phone or by zoom or what are the
1: options well certainly prior to covid our model was meet me in the office (laughs) Uh, and it was in-person sessions and that was was sort of a sacred kind of idea not to be violated in some way. COVID altered that and we had to adapt and come to learn. And fortunate that we have developments in technology that we didn't always have. And it turns out that it's worked very well. Uh, That for many people, they were able to get a very good quality experience. And for some, uh, it actually allowed them to get therapy, so once we have our, now that we have our offices open, there's still some who would prefer either video kinds of conferencing or phone calls. And that allows them to leave work so early or if they have trouble with transportation, which is an issue for some of the populations we treat to have access to get around or take the time or it's an extra expense. It has opened up the possibility uh, for people to get quality treatment, even if they can't be in person. Being in person still has its value. It has a different experience. Uh, and you have a, an office that has its own privacy and sanctity. When you're calling from home, you, you may not, or at work, some people call from their car uh, it's not always easy to get a place that's a regular place where you can sort of get in the mode of, I'm going to open myself up uh, and be free.
2: mean, that speaks to my experience for sure, because I started during COVID. So every patient that I saw was by Zoom or virtually. But then as we moved out of that phase, the new people that I took, I could meet in person. And that was really wonderful and a complete different experience. Personally, I like in-person better, but some of my existing patients didn't want to return in person. They wanted to, you know, stay virtual and that was fine too. But from that point on, I started taking new people in and, and, and tried to encourage them to come in person and that's been great. So, but, but having both options has been convenient and wonderful.
0: Lennon, do you feel that collegiality with the other people who came through the program? Do you feel that you have this community of of other therapists? Uh, and, and how does that how is that different, you think, than it would have been had you not gone to the institute?
2: You know, I'm not sure what other programs offer, but I felt the support immediately from the others. And I can't say enough about how much, you know, how how that feels as a brand new therapist. You know, we, we trained together, we were in the thick of it together, and we were able to rely on each other, ask each other questions, consult with each other. And, you know, it was just a really warm, wonderful experience.
0: And Dr. Ozar, you had spoken about the fact that this is an ongoing, the desire is for an ongoing relationship mm-hmm. between the graduates and the Institute. Do you feel that the way the program is, is structured, it really fosters that kind of ongoing support and community.
1: Yeah, I certainly like to think so. A number of the people that have started in the clinic who have often continued in our uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy program. Now it's has a child and adolescent component, and a number of them have made the commitment to go into psychoanalytic training. Uh, eventually even become some of the supervisors in our clinic. So they've sort of entered the pipeline uh, of training, and we encourage that. I want it, to connected to that in terms of how we support both the therapist and the patient, because you can't really separate them. You would ask a question, too, about people wondering how long this is going to last. And uh, I think the, the issue really is is people are worried it's going to take a long time, but they really don't want an intimate relation to have to end suddenly. And that's often what happens in clinics. Somebody's there uh, for a short while, and then they know they're, they're a therapist or their doctor. If it's in a psychiatric residency, you're going to move on. And that often can be disruptive. People get used to it, but that just means I'm going to protect myself. So we do try to preserve the relationship with the therapist, if possible. So there are many people who come to our program to meet practicum requirements for their undergraduate program, but we allow them to continue when they're in the phase of where they're getting licensure hours. So they can have a long-term relationship. And if they then move out to the clinic, of the clinic, and often they're going knowing that they can get very good supervision and there's still the continued support, both educationally and in a supervisory way, their patients are free to follow them. So that there's been, if they're not ready to end the relationship, or that they feel that there's more work to do, then that can be a relationship that doesn't have to be artificially interrupted. And it's a benefit for both the therapist learning experience, building their practice, uh, and certainly a benefit to those patients, clients who come and can continue a a relationship.
0: If I'm a patient coming to the Shealy Clinic, do I see or notice any kind of difference between whether I'm being cared for by someone who's in the program versus if I went to a therapist away from the clinic? Do I experience anything differently? Or is it the same kind of Of approach.
1: If if you're seeing someone who is trained in our model, Mm -hmm. I don't think there'll be a difference. And I think that's something important, not just the model of how we work, but those who come to get their training and their experience in our clinic know from the beginning that they are making an important commitment to another human being as a professional, even if they feel still green or inexperienced, to that person who's coming for help, they have to be there and see themselves as someone who's gonna do their best and is supported. And then someone's really counting on them to provide sort of ethical and caring support. And in that regard, I would hope that those who come to our clinic don't really see any difference. They find someone who really is ready to help them and it's gonna have a very attentive and thoughtful ear.
0: Lynn, did you want to add anything to
2: that? I I do believe that you know, it would be a similar approach if if someone is practicing in our model, the therapist outside of the clinic may have more experience and that may show in one way or or may maybe not. I think that this this the um, the experience would be similar.
0: And I just want to be clear when you say our model, Dr. Ozar, That means, dot, dot, dot.
1: Our model, again, although there are many varieties of psychoanalytic theory, everybody's got their own way of using language. But what we share in common is that what is going to be healing is what's going to happen in a relationship over time with the person who is the authority or the one that has who's there to help the suffering person is going to have some expertise or some way of listening and responding that's going to help someone be freer to know themselves, to be able to understand the ways in which they respond to the world based on older models or models from adolescence or childhood, that which were the best ways they had at the time of making sense of the world, but don't, don't work anymore or based on what their wishes or fantasies were, that we help them feel that they can deal with what relationships are really like or what experiences in the world are like without feeling overwhelmed and feel actually that they can grow and master experiences.
0: So even though you may be speaking to a patient about the past, you're really focused on how they're functioning now, correct?
1: How they're functioning, and ultimately, in the when the treatment becomes most effective, uh, it's how they're functioning in the room. So the the relationship itself becomes a laboratory a kind of place where someone can try out: can I actually safely feel this or say this out loud, and find some way to put it in perspective without someone criticizing me or saying, no, I don't want to hear that, or that's stupid, or, you know, being frightened of it themselves. But whatever worries people as being too dangerous to think about, they can come learn that actually another human being can be there with them. So it's in that sense, a very here and now, most immediate activity that can really only work if the two parties matter to each other. And that's one of the things that, phone therapy or people that are more honest, that just can't happen in the same way.
0: Right. It 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 is about trust. It's about building a relationship. Yes. And, and what would happen in any of our life relationships, except that this is with a person who has had very special training and insight
1: mm-hmm.
0: about in, in order to help, to, to be your advocate.
1: And to help us recognize the ways we avoid certain feelings and thoughts and ideas because we've come to believe they're dangerous. Uh, but in fact, they're important parts of us and we don't. We have to acknowledge them. Otherwise they sort of fester and haunt us in ways that are not really manageable and productive or our efforts to avoid our feelings, we pay such a big price for making our, our world much smaller and narrower and limited take away our pleasure and creativity.
2: I mean, again, and that's another, another incident of where it happens organically. They just, they feel it, you know, they feel the acceptance. They don't feel, they're they're able to be vulnerable with us and it feels good to them. And that's why they come back. So it's about providing the space and the experience for the person to open up and, and be vulnerable. And be and still be accepted fully and once we face those thoughts can the therapist handle it can they hold yeah. those thoughts for us
0: and so you're saying the therapist holds those thoughts
2: for the patient can be there and experience the thoughts with them and just not reject them just just be accepting and, and be in tandem during their experience which could be a complete opposite experience that they've had up to that point. You know, maybe they've been treated poorly for their thoughts. Um, and then here they have this open person ready to explore, you know, their deepest, darkest, darkest secrets. And, you know, that's, that's, I believe is the most healing part of the relationship. I, I think I just like to share my subjective experience as an in turn, starting through the university and then working towards my licensure hours, I think from the very beginning, for me personally, it was a perfect balance of independence and support. And what I mean by that is, I think it was maybe the unspoken message that the whole team provided us was like, you can do this, go get your patients, go figure out what your voice is as a therapist, go figure out who you are in the room with the patient. And they also gave us a space to make mistakes, but we always knew that we were supported fully. And I I guess an analogy would be when your kids first learn to walk, You know, they're so independent and they're going and they're running and and doing it, but yet that parent is always behind them, um, ready to catch them when they fall. And I think that that's exactly what the clinic provided me. They had the confidence in us before we even had it in ourselves so and that was you know that was really wonderful
0: thank you for listening today to our mind's eye a podcast of the st louis psychoanalytic institute to learn more about the institute whether as a patient of the shealy clinic or as a practicum student in the educational programs you can visit us online at stlpi.org Or you can call 314-361-7075.